Um, this week, we're going to kind of move us into the focus that I think is on my heart and on our leadership's heart for this Christmas season for us as a church. You might have seen this or have come across this, but America is at a place in its history where we are obsessed with ourselves. Uh, tools like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and live stream and you stream, we all stream, whatever stream it is now, <laughs> have come out and given every individual a platform to broadcast themselves, to share about themselves. And, and in some ways, in doing so, we d- we've done that because we've become obsessed with getting feedback about ourselves because every human is trying to decide what makes them worth anything. Every human is trying to build their self-confidence. Every human is trying to boost their self-esteem. And so these tools we have in our American society, and it's global, have given us the ability to try to find our worth and our significance and our higher self-esteem now more than any time in our American history. In some respects, people might say, yeah, it's almost to a detriment, though, because we're so consumed with ourselves, we so think we can do anything, but we all know that we can't all do everything. But where does that idea come from? As I began studying and researching this week, I actually found out that a big part of that idea came from California. In the late 80s in California, there was a governor by the name of George Duke Majin. I keep forgetting every time. Craig does a good job pronouncing it, so I point to him. And George Duke Majin put together a task force because he had this idea. If humans could value themselves greater, if humans could have a better understanding of their worth, if humans could have a greater self-esteem, humans would treat each other better. Crime would drop. People would be happier. So George put together a task force in 1986, commissioned them with $240,000 as their yearly budget, and said, your job is to come up with a way that in the state of California and hopefully our whole nation, we can boost the self-esteem. And so they took literally a year and $240,000 to first even define what they thought self-esteem was. Their definition was, appreciating my own worth and importance and having the character to be accountable for myself and to act responsibly toward others. After this 1986 definition came out, schools began producing curriculum, and people began producing books and moving that into the school systems to let people know, especially young children, they mattered. They were important. They had value. They had worth. They could do anything. And then the millennials started to be born and being raised in the school system. And we had soccer teams where on the back of everyone's kid was the number one. And it didn't matter if you ever played a game in your life. And it didn't matter if you could even kick the ball. You got a trophy because you were a champion. Because you could win because you could do anything with your life. You were important. The world revolved around you. And now we're in a place in our American society where self-help is a 10 billion dollar yearly industry in our American economy. But guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work. The more we told people the value that they had, the more we imparted into people the importance that they had, it actually really didn't build their self-confidence. It actually really didn't even build their self-worth. It didn't build their self-esteem. 
but we tried really, really, really hard, but it hasn't worked. Now, when I've thought about self-esteem or uh, my own self-worth or my self-confidence, there's three voices that I've identified that help me shape that. The first voice is my own voice. And I usually start hearing that voice the moment I look in the mirror first thing in the morning. And as I look at my face and look at my body, I begin to say things to myself of my own self-worth. That I begin to get consumed with the things I like about myself and the things I don't like about myself. And those things that I see in comparison to others, I allow to define my self-worth. Now, we obviously talk about looks, and we automatically think of the feminine side of our society. And it's interesting that in Korea, there's been such pressure on women to look a certain way, they're making a new movement where women are standing against that. Young women are, have decided to not burn their brows like they did in the 60s and 70s. They've decided to cut their makeup and do it online so everyone can see. <laughs> and as they cut their makeup, then many of them are taking razors and shaving their heads saying, I will no longer succumb to society's view of how I should be and let that determine my self-worth. Now, we know for men, there's a thing called manorexia. You might have heard it, you might have not. I'm clearly beating manorexia. (laughs) But there's this desire for men to do the next workout, get the next diet, so we can have the abs we had when we were six years old. Because this is what determines my self-worth. This is what determines how I view the world. This, is, this says to me that I have value that allows me to be confident. That's a voice that plays in my head frequently that talks about how I look or what people are saying or the status I have socially or the accomplishments I've made. That all those things become tapes that I play in my head that try to de- determine if I'm worth it or not. My ethnicity determines if I'm worth it or not. My speech determines if I'm worth anything at all. Second voice that we listen to that we try to gain from to determine our self-worth is the voice of others. Now, these voices have a large spectrum. It can be someone close to us, like a best friend or a spouse, or it can even be like a government, where governments are trying to use their voice to determine the worth of human beings in their society. I spent a couple of years working in the nation of China, in which China, for the most part, everyone believes that they all came from monkeys. They believe in evolution. They're mostly, mostly atheists, and God does not exist. And so I began working with a lot of young professionals in China, commuting back and forth to Hawaii, and I began to find out pretty quickly that we worked very differently. See, I went to the workplace, and I valued every person that was there, And so I always tried to do everything in team. And and they would have done the same thing, but they were willing to stab me in the back to get ahead. Why? Because in their society, worth is determined by how much you acquire for yourself. Your finances, your possessions, these are the things that determine your worth. Because there is no God. There's nothing more to live for. The only thing to live for is yourself. And so I need to get more of what I need. And since we all came from monkeys, why do I care about what you think about me or what you think about me? I'm just going to try to get what's mine, and I'll do that by jumping over anyone I need to while I'm smiling at you the entire time. And they did this, and they worked this way because government told them that their worth was determined by what they possessed, 
not by who they were because they didn't come from God. They were just, it was just about evolution. They just need to stand out above the rest as the next cycle of evolution came. Family members might have determined for you your worth by their comments to you over the dinner table. My family loved to make jokes. Unfortunately, many of those jokes were pointed at the people at the table. And as a kid growing up, before my body grew, my ears and feet grew much faster. And so I kind of looked like this awkward head with handles on it, with these big feet, just weird. So my family would poke fun at that because it was funny, and everyone knew that they were loved, right? (laughs) But eventually, those words began to determine my worth, and I decided I didn't like those words anymore. So every time those conversations would come up in the family, I would try to deter the jokes away from me because I didn't like how it made me feel because those words were starting to define my value. They were starting to define my worth to people around me. So we have voices that try to speak to us about what our worth is. We have our individual voice that's within us, talking, making judgments from the world around us and saying, this is how I define myself. And then we have voices outside speaking into us saying, these are things you need to be. This makes you good or this makes you bad. You should probably never be a doctor because you're really bad with blood or you should probably never be a businessman because you're really bad with numbers. And these things have determined the trajectory of our lives because we're trying to find out what makes us worthwhile. We're trying to find out what makes us sufficient and of value to people around us. And many times we find ourselves in positions we don't want to be in because we're so keen on listening to other people's voices or our own voice to determine our self-worth. But there's a third voice. And that voice is the voice of our Heavenly Father. Because God has something to say about our worth. God has something to say about our significance. God has something to say about what we are meant to be confident in. And it has nothing to do with our looks. It has nothing to do with the words that other people say about us. God has something to say about your worth. I spent a lot of my adult life striving to be the best at something because that's what I was told determined my worth. So because I spent a lot of time in ministry, whatever ministry I was working on, I wanted it to be the best. When I was working on that ministry, if someone's appears ministry next to mine was looking better than mine, I had a hard time being around that person because I felt it was determining that my worth wasn't as great His worth must be more because he's doing better than I am. I found my significance in what I was doing. And because of my comparing with his, I found myself most time tired at the end of the year. Because I was trying to find my worth in what I was doing. But here's the thing. (laughs) It's Christmas. And what does Christmas say to us? We sang a song earlier that God is worthy of it all. But here's the wild thing. Christmas, it's when God has a chance to tell us you were worth it all. That you are worth me sending my son to be born to a young virgin woman and to have birth of a son in a manger. You are worthy for me to send my most prized possession for. You were the ones that were worth it all. 
Now that changes things for me because we know that to understand what something is worth, you only know what it's worth by what someone's willing to pay for it. And so what does it mean to say, okay, I'm going to listen to the voice of God. What does he say about my worth? And he doesn't only just say it in words. He says it in action. And he says, you were worth it all. How much you were worth the gift of my only son. That begins to change our perspective then on where I get my worth. Because then my worth isn't determined by how I look that day. My worth isn't determined by who says nice comments to me during that day, though if you compliment my shirt, I will rush home, wash it, and try to wear it the next day. (laughs) My worth isn't determined by how much money's in my account, the car I drive, the clothes I wear. My worth isn't determined by the color of my skin. My worth isn't determined by the area I grew up in. My worth isn't determined by my education, by what I've done or haven't done. My worth is determined by the heavenly father saying, I was worth it all for him to send his son. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas. Now God has to back that up a little bit because we have to understand a bit better of what God says about us, about what his voice communicates about us, if we're going to fully grasp how much worth we have to him. And that kind of starts out when we look at the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And we realize that we were made greater than the animals. That animals were created and they had their role and their job, but they would be lost unless they were led and taken care of by who? Those that were meant to be the image bearers of God. You and I. That we would be created to be made in the image of the living God. Having such high value that God would say, here is my creation, man and woman. It is your job on behalf of me to care for it. You're meant to cultivate it. You're meant to lead it. You have so much worth to me that I'm giving you my creation to take care of it. We define our worth not by what people say about us, but the fact that God said that we are made in his image. In many ways, that idea has rooted itself in our American culture, having first been founded on biblical principles that we deemed human beings valuable. Why do we in America deem human beings to be valuable, yet other countries of the world don't deem it? It's because of this story. Because this story says human beings are not just animals that scurry along the ground. Human beings are people that carry the image of God and are meant to care for God's creation. Psalm chapter 139, verse 
13 to 14. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. And here we get a picture that while God made humanity to represent his image, he's also involved in each individual distinctive element of you and I. That actually, though we are grouped as humanity made in his image, the psalmist is saying, yes, but you weren't mass produced. God also had an intricate design for each one of you. Why are you trying to find out that design by other created things when you should find out that design by the creator? Created things will never be able to tell you who you're meant to be. Created things will never be able to tell you your worth. The only one that can tell you your worth and why you were designed this way is the one who designed you that way. And he did it, and he calls you his workmanship. If you're going to find your self-worth, it's not going to be the voice in your head, and it's not going to be the voice in your friends' heads. It's only going to be the voice that comes from God of this Bible. And your worth is not subjective, it's objective. What does that mean, Matt? My wife loves me. She subjectively loves me more when I take the trash out frequently. In that moment of taking the trash out, I am deeming myself worthy of her presence. And she looks at me and says, well, in this moment, I feel that I love you because you just keep doing that job. The moment I stop, my worth drops a little bit. I might say, or someone, might tell, someone else might tell me I'm worth something, but she might say, well, not so much because you're not doing your job. Her value of me is subjected to her personal opinion of what's happening in the moment. Our value is not subjective. It's objective. What does that mean? It means that your worth has already been determined regardless of what you ever do. It's objectively true, just like an orange is round or a square has four corners. That is objectively true. No matter how many people are going to debate about if that's a square or not, if it has those four corners, it's a square. It's objectively true. And God's word doesn't say he subjectively deems you worthy at some times but not other times. God's word says he's objectively already deemed you worth it all already done. Psalms 8, starting in verse 3. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean's currents. The psalmist is trying to get us to understand we have tremendous worth to God. I was in Switzerland with my family. By that time, it was just me, my wife, and my little daughter. She was only about eight months old. We're walking along this lake, Geneva, in a city called Montreux. It was crowded. There was tons of people. And as we were walking, immediately some loud um, bang went off. And we could hear this, like, sounded like a rushing wind. And I could just see people running by me. And in the direction I'm walking, people start running and screaming. At that moment, my wife and I looked at each other, and we knew what the deal was. Save our daughter. I immediately grabbed the stroller, the diaper bag, the 15-pound 
diaper, like the, you know how heavy a lot of stuff is, little baby. I lifted it in my hands. I found these stairs, and I leaped stairs after stairs after stairs to climb and get off the top of the street. I couldn't believe I did it. I got up there. I was like, how did I even get up here? My wife comes up later, and she goes, you kind of left me. I'm like, I know, but we said take care of the baby, you know? <laughs> My wife and I knew the sacrifice we would make for our daughter. My daughter was worth it all. It didn't matter what was going to happen down there. My only job was to get her off that street. It didn't matter if she was happy that day or she only pooped once or twice that day or she was cranky. From, it, none of that mattered. She was worth it all. And I leaped. and I was like, he, man, it was amazing. I've never climbed stairs that fast since. Last night, we were with some friends, and we organized some races for the kids, and the kids were running. And she came up. She came in second the first time and barely came in first the last time. And we're driving home in the car, and she's got tears in her eyes. I said, why are you crying, honey? And she goes, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't want to lose the race. Because I thought I wouldn't be the daughter you wanted. And I'm like, who says that? The world has told her to say that. She's eight years old, but she's learned that that's what deems me valuable. What I can do. Can I be number one? Can I be the best? Can I look the best? Can I act the best? Do people think I'm the best? That's where she's learning to find her significance. And that's not what I want her to know because Christmas says that she was worth it all. (laughs) That what could be greater than God the Father sending his son as a gift for you and I, deeming us worthy, If we can find our worth in that, it makes us free from the voices that tear us down. It makes us able to walk into difficult times this Christmas season with people that have spoken negative things over us, and we can still be loving and generous because you know what? Our worth isn't determined by their words anymore. We can be unified with people in business or in the ministries we work with because you know why? Their success doesn't determine my worth anymore. We can be loving and generous and giving of the things we have. Why? Because what I have doesn't determine my worth anymore. I find my worth in this story. And this story says that this Christmas, God looked at me and said, you know what? You are worth it all. And so I'm sending my son for you.